Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon once preached by Charles Spurgeon. The name of that sermon is The Lord is Risen Indeed. His text is Luke 24, verses 5 and 6. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. The first day of the week commemorates the resurrection of Christ. And following apostolical example, we have made the first day of the week to be our Sabbath, says Spurgeon. Does not this intimate to us that the rest of our souls is to be found in the resurrection of our Savior? Is it not true that a clear understanding of the rising again of our Lord is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the very surest means of bringing our minds into peace? To have a part in the resurrection of Christ is to enjoy that Sabbath rest which remaineth for the people of God. We who have believed in the risen Lord do enter into rest, even as he also himself is resting at the right hand of the Father. In him we rest because his work is finished, his resurrection being the pledge that he has perfected all that is needful for the salvation of his people, and we are complete in him. I trust this morning that some restful thoughts may, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be sown in the minds of believers while we make a pilgrimage to the new tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and see the place where the Lord lay. First this morning, I'll speak to you upon certain instructive memories which gather around the place where Jesus slept with the rich in his death. Though he is not there, he assuredly once was there, for he was crucified, dead, and buried. He was as dead as the dead now are, and though he could see no corruption, nor could be holden by the bands of death beyond the predestined time, yet he was in very deed, and most assuredly, dead. No light remained in his eye, no life in his heart. Thought had fled from his thorn-crowned brow, and speech from his golden mouth. He was not in mere appearance, but in reality dead. The spear-thrust decided that question once for all. Therefore in the sepulchre they laid him, a dead man, fit occupant of the silent tomb. Yet as he is not there now, but is risen, it is for us to search for memorials of his having been there. Not for the holy sepulchre will we contend with superstitious sectaries, but, but in, in spirit we will gather up the precious relics of the risen Redeemer. First, he has left in the grave the spices. When he rose, he did not bring away the costly aromatics in which his body had been wrapped, but he left them there. Joseph brought about one hundred pounds weight of myrrh and aloes, and the odor remaineth still. In the sweetest spiritual sense, our Lord Jesus has filled the grave with fragrance. It no longer smells of corruption and foul decay, but we can sing with the poet of the sanctuary, Why should we tremble to convey these bodies to the tomb? There the dear flesh of Jesus lay and left a long perfume. 
Yonder lowly bed in the earth is now perfumed with costly spices and decked with sweet flowers, for on its pillow the truest friend we have once laid his holy head. Uh, we, we will not start back with horror from the chambers of the dead, for the Lord himself has traversed them, and where he goes no terror abides. The master also left his grave clothes behind him, he did not come from the tomb wrapped about with a winding sheet. He did not wear the cerements of the tomb as the habiliments of life. But when Peter went into the sepulchre, he saw the grave clothes lying carefully folded by themselves. What if I say he left them to be the hangings of the royal bedchamber wherein his saints fall asleep? See how he has curtained our last bed. Our dormitory is no longer bare and drear like a prison cell, but hung around with fair white linen and comely arras, a chamber fit for the repose of princes of the blood. We will go to our last bedchamber in peace, because Christ has furnished it for us. Or if we change the metaphor, I might say that our Lord has left those grave clothes for us to look upon as pledges of his fellowship with us, in our low estate, and reminders that as he has cast aside the death garments, even so shall we. He has risen from his couch and left his sleeping robes behind him, in token that our waking there are other vestures ready for us also. What if I again change the figure and say that as we have seen old tattered flags hung up in cathedrals and other national buildings, as the memorials of defeated enemies and victories won, so in the crypt where Jesus vanquished death, his grave clothes are hung up as the trophies of his victory over death and as assurances to us all that his people shall be more than conquerors through him that hath loved them. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Then, carefully folded up and laid by itself, our Lord left a napkin that was about his head. Yonder lies that napkin now. The Lord wanted it not when he came forth to life. Ye who mourn may use it as a handkerchief with which to dry your eyes. Ye widows and ye fatherless children, ye mourning brothers and ye weeping sisters, and you, you, ye Rachels, who will not be comforted because your children are not. Here, take you this which wrapped your Savior's face, and wipe your tears away forever. The Lord is risen indeed, and therefore, thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping, and thine eyes from tears, for they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Thy dead men shall live, O mourner, Together with the Lord's dead body they shall arise. Wherefore, sorrow not as they that are without hope. For if ye believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will the Lord bring with him. What else has the risen Savior left behind him? Our faith has learned to gather up memorials sweet, from the couch of our Lord's tranquil slumber? Well, beloved, he left angels behind him, and thus made the grave a cell where angels used to come and go with heavenly news. 
Angels were not in the tomb before, but at his resurrection they descended. One rolled away the stone. Others sat where the body of Jesus had lain. They were the personal attendants and bodyguard of the great prince, and therefore they attended him at his rising, keeping the doorway and answering the inquiries of his friends. Angels are full of life and vigor, but they did not hesitate to assemble at the grave, gracing the resurrection even as flowers adorn the spring. I read not that our Master has ever recalled the angels from the sepulchre of his saints. And now, if believers die as poor as Lazarus, and as sick and as despised as he, angels shall convey their souls into the bosom of their Lord, and their bodies, too, shall be watched by guardian spirits, as surely as Michael kept the body of Moses and contended for it with the foe. Angels are both the servitors of living saints and the custodians of their dust. What else did our well-beloved leave behind him? He left an open passage from the tomb, for the stone was rolled away. Doorless is that house of death. We shall in our turn, if the master come not speedily, descend into the prison house of the grave. What did I say? I called it a prison house. But how a prison house that hath no bolts or bars? How a prison house that hath not even a door to close upon its occupants? Our Samson, Jesus, has pulled up the posts and carried away the gates of the grave with all their bars. The key is taken from the girdle of death and is held in the hand of the Prince of Life. The broken signal and the fainting watchmen are tokens that the dungeons of death can no more confine their captives. As Peter, when he was visited by the angel, found his chains fall from off of him, while iron gates opened to him of their own accord, so shall the saints find ready escape at the resurrection morning. They shall sleep a while, each one in his resting place, but they shall rise readily, for the stone is rolled away. A mighty angel rolled away the stone, for it was very great. And when he had done the deed, he sat down upon the stone. His garment was white as snow, and his face like lightning. And as he sat on the stone, he seemed to say to death and hell, Roll it back again, if you can. Who shall rebuild for the tyrant his prison? The scepter lies broken that fell from his hands. His dominion is ended. The Lord is arisen. The helpless shall soon be released from their bands. One thing else I venture to mention as left by my Lord in his forsaken tomb. I, I visited some few months ago several of the large columbaria which are to be found outside the gates of Rome. You enter a large square building sunk in the earth and descend by many steps, and as you descend you observe on the four sides of the great chamber innumerable little pigeonholes in which are the ashes of tens of thousands of departed persons. Usually in front of each compartment prepared for the reception of the ashes stands a lamp. I have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of these lamps, but they are all unlit, and indeed do not appear ever to have carried light. 
They shed no ray upon the darkness of death. But now our Lord has gone into the tomb and illuminated it with his presence. The lamp of his love is our guide through the gloom. Jesus has brought life and immortality to light by the gospel. And now in the dovecotes where Christians nestle, there is light. Yea, in every cemetery there is a light which shall burn through the watches of earth's night till the day break and the shadows flee away and the resurrection morn shall dawn. So then the empty tomb of the Savior leaves us many sweet reflections which we will treasure up for our instruction. Our text next speaks expressly of vain searches. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. There are places where seekers after Jesus should not expect to find him, however diligent may be their search, however sincere their desire. You cannot find a man where he is not, and there are some spots where Christ never will be discovered. At this present moment, I see many searching for Christ among the monuments of ceremonialism or what Paul called the weak and beggarly elements. For they observe days and months and times and years. Ever since our Lord arose, Judaism and every form of symbolic ceremony have become nothing better than sepulchres. The types were of God's own ordaining, but when the substance had come, the types became empty sepulchres and nothing more. Since that time, men have invented other symbols, which have not even the sanction of divine authority, and are only dead men's graves. He himself declared, Neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem shall men worship the Father. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Jesus has rent the veil and abolished ceremonial worship, and yet men seek to revive it, building up the sepulchres which the Lord has broken down. Alas, there are many others who are seeking Christ as their Savior among the tombs of moral reformation. Our Lord likened the Pharisees to whitewashed sepulchres. Inwardly they were full of dead men's bones, but outwardly, they were fairly garnished. Oh, the way in which men, when they get uneasy about their souls, they try to whitewash themselves. Some one gross sin is, is given up, not in heart, but only in appearance. And a certain virtue is cultivated, not in the soul, but only in the outward act. And thus they hope to be saved, though they still remain enemies of God, lovers of sin, Greedy seekers after the wages of unrighteousness, they hope that the clean outside of the cup and the platter will satisfy the Most High, that he will not be so severe as to look within and try their hearts. O oh, sirs, why seek ye the living among the dead? Many have sought peace for their consciences by their moral reforms, but if the Holy Spirit has truly convinced them of sin, they have soon found that they were looking for a living Christ amidst the tombs. He is not here. He is risen. If Christ were dead, we might well say to you, go and do your best to be your own saviors. 
But while Christ is alive, he wants no help of yours. He will save you from top to bottom or not at all. He will be Alpha and Omega to you. And and if you put your hand upon his work and think in any way that you can help him, you have dishonored his holy name. And he will have nothing to do with you. Seek not a living salvation amongst the sepulchres of outward formality. Too many also are struggling to find the living Christ amidst the tombs which cluster so thickly at the foot of Sinai. They look for life to the law, whose ministry is death. Men think that they are to be saved by keeping God's commandments. They are to do their best, and they conceive that their sincere endeavors will be accepted, and they will thus save themselves. This self-righteous idea is diametrically opposed to the whole spirit of the gospel. The gospel is not for you who can save yourselves, but for those who are lost. If you can save yourselves, go and do it. Do not mock the Savior with your hypocritical prayers. Go and stumble among the tombs of ancient Israel. Perish as they did in the wilderness. For into rest Moses and the law can never lead you. The gospel is for sinners who cannot keep the law for themselves, who have broken it and incurred its penalty, who know that they have done so and confess it. For such, a living Savior has come that he may blot out their transgressions. Seek not salvation by the works of the law, for by them shall no flesh living be justified. By the law is the knowledge of sin and nothing more. But righteousness, peace, life, salvation come by faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ and by no other means. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But if thou goest about to establish thine own righteousness, thou shalt surely perish, because thou hast rejected the righteousness of Christ. Others there are who who seek the living Jesus among the tombs by looking for something good in human nature, in their own natural hearts and dispositions. I can see you now, for I have known you long. And this has always been your folly. You will go into the charnel house of your own nature and say, Is Jesus here? Beloved, you are sad and depressed, and I do not wonder. Look at yonder dry bones and bleaching skeletons. See that heap of rottenness, that that mass of corruption, that body of death. Can you bear it? Ay, you say, I, I am a wretched man indeed, but I long to find some good thing in my flesh. Oh, beloved, you sigh in vain. You might as well rake hell over to find heaven in it as look into your own carnal nature to find consolation. Behold ye this day, God has abandoned the old nature and given it up to death. Under the old law, circumcision was the putting away of the filth of the flesh, as though after this filth were gone, the flesh might perhaps be bettered. But now... Under the new covenant, we have a far deeper symbol, for know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him, by baptism, into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. The old man is buried as a dead thing out of which no good can come. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. God does not attempt to renew the old carnal mind, but to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Yet again, too many have tried to find Christ amidst the gloomy catacombs of the world's philosophy. For instance, on the Sabbath day, they like to have a sermon full of thought, thought being, in the modern meaning of it, uh, something beyond, if not opposite to, the simple teachings of the Bible. If a man tells his people what he finds in the Scripture, he, he is said to talk platitudes. But if a man amuses his people with his own dreams, however opposed they may be to God's thoughts, he is a, a thinking man, a highly intellectual preacher. <laughs> there may be some who, who love, above all things, the maunderings of daydreamers and the crudities of skeptics. If they can hear what an infidel professor has said against inspiration, if they can be indulged with the last new blasphemy, some hearers feel that they are making advances in that higher culture, which is so much vaunted nowadays. But believe me, the bat-haunted caves of false philosophy and pretended science have been searched again and again, but salvation dwells not in them. In Paul's day, there were Gnostics who tracked all the winding passages of vainglorious learning, but they only discovered another gospel, which was not another. The world, by wisdom, knew not God. After roaming amid the dreary catacombs of philosophy, we come back to breathe the fresh air of the living word, and concerning the mazes of science, we gasp out the sentence, he is not there. Reason has not found him in her deepest mining, nor speculation in her, her highest soaring, though indeed he is not far from any one of us. Athens has her unknown God, but in the simple gospel God is known in the person of Jesus. Socrates and Plato hold up their candles, but Jesus is the sun. Our moderns cavil and dispute, and yet a living Christ is among us converting sinners, cheering saints, and glorifying God. How anxiously do I wish that you who have been searching for salvation in any of these directions would give up the hopeless task and understand that Christ is near you, and if you with the heart believe on him and with the mouth confess him, you shall be saved. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and beside me there is none else. This is his cry to you. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Jesus is living still, and able to save to the uttermost. All you have to do is simply to turn the glance of your faith towards him. By that faith, he becomes yours, and you are saved. But, oh, seek not the living among the dead, for he is risen. We'll finish this message next time. Thank you for listening 
As I say every day, please do look around the site. I won't go into all the details this time, but there's much here. And I'd like to stay in touch with you other ways. By, you could send me an email. You can come to one of our Zoom meetings. There's a lot of ways we can stay in touch. I've started a YouTube site now. It's called Pasturelands. Look it up. There's some good things over there, too. But God bless you. Thank you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. We're distributing this audio on July the 21st, 2022. Lord willing, we'll talk again very soon. Bye-bye.